Welcome to the Mike Caudill Podcast, and it is go time. I'm Mike Caudill, and thanks for taking a minute to check out my podcast. Yes, I'm flicking a football around for season one, episode number three, because we have the Super Bowl. So uh, what's great about the Mike Caudill Podcast is that we hit all intersections of the world of transportation, which is what I do. Right. So we're talking not John Candy, planes, trains and automobiles, but we are talking about the wonderful world uh, of cars, motorcycles, boats uh, and RVs, uh, four areas in which I'm incredibly passionate and participate in all of those. So thank you for taking a minute to stop by and check out our show. Uh, I will have probably a football in my hand the majority of the time. For those that are watching uh, and listening in for the first time, you may not know this or not, that although I've been in the auto industry for 20 years, I was a football player back in the day, played high school, and then played college football uh, at what is now Cal Poly Humboldt, but at the time it was Humboldt State University, and uh, it was a D3 school that moved to D2, but boy did I love playing football. So, all right, we're going to kick off the show. We've had an amazing January 2024, hit CES in Las Vegas. We talked about that uh, on episode two. Uh, we bounced from there to Atlanta for an incredible volleyball tournament, which I'll probably have on the next show. Uh, my daughter plays volleyball. And then down to uh, Miami and then up to Tampa for the Florida RV Super Show. Um, and we'll have content from that on uh, our fourth episode. So uh, January is a busy month, gone half the time, came down with a flu just like uh, everyone else in America, a little bit of a sickness, and then hit the road uh, the latter part of part of uh, January, went out to California to do some off-roading, which we'll also talk about on today's show. So, all right, you guys ready? Before we jump into what we've got going on today's show, let's talk a little bit about what's going to be coming up uh, here in the next few weeks for me on the travel side. Uh, I'm going to be heading up to Montreal the first week of February, and I'm going to be doing some winter test driving with the team over at Mitsubishi. Uh, I think it's probably going to be the Outlander that we're testing in, but I don't know a lot of details yet. Other than that, I will be bringing you all a lot of great content uh, on my social channels. So if you're not following along, make sure you go to It's Mike Caudill. I will then chart my way and my path down to Chicago for the Chicago Auto Show. Uh, I'll be there covering all the latest and greatest news. We'll have a full social team on site, uh, again, under It's Mike Caudill. And then from there, we're going to jump through the weekend and head down to Miami for the Miami... Uh, International Boat Show, also known as MIBS. Um, So think about that, right? Uh, Week one, 15 degrees and snow. And then Chicago, still cold, maybe snow. Then back to Nashville for a few days. And then, uh, boom, down to paradise, right? Southern Florida. This time of year is amazing. So, all right, you guys ready? Here we go. Coming up on today's show, I'm going to start with my interview. February is the month that kicks off the big motorsports year. And what I mean by that really is NASCAR. So uh, we're going to have Jamie Little, um, who is with NASCAR on Fox. Um, She's going to be joining us uh, a little bit later on the Mike Caudill podcast. An amazing person, great friend of mine. Uh, We did a, there it is, we did a show together down uh, in Fort Lauderdale. Uh, Will Christian and Jamie Little and myself hosted a Fox Sports show uh, covering the Fort Lauderdale International Boat Show. So she'll be on. Uh, big automotive news of the week. We're going to cover EVs. We're going to talk motorsports. We're going to talk some cool cars. Uh, and then we're going to talk about Barrett-Jackson, which happened uh, in the last week of uh, January. Big news out of Barrett-Jackson. Some expensive cars being sold. So we're going to cover off on that. Then we're going to dabble uh, a little bit with the uh, kickoff to motorsports. And um, although... Uh, Motorsports really kicks off in February with Daytona that many of you are aware of from a NASCAR standpoint. The last week of January and the first week of February is always the big off-roading event, which is King of Hammers. And for those of you that know me, know how much I love to off-road with my 75 Bronco. Purpose-built for rock crawling. Uh, I didn't get to take it out west to crawl it, um, but I was out there off-roading myself uh, with some friends. At the same time, King of Hammers uh, is happening. So we're going to talk a little bit about that as well. Talk some sports, some Super Bowl. What's going on, right? we got the Kansas City Chiefs taking on the San Francisco 49ers. Vehicle of the week. And then we're going to close it out with our helmet giveaway, which 
I kind of got to get that sucker out there right quick. We got three helmets to give away, and uh, they all are around the Super Bowl, so we'll talk about that as well. So, all right, you guys ready? Here we go. We're going to jump into it right off the top. 2023 was big for automakers. Um, a lot of them closed out the year with numbers that were positive. Um, the industry as a whole was up at about 12%. Uh, EVs were up 90%, but in in the, their own category, but with regards to just um, inside the auto industry, they were actually down a little bit. So even though you have 30 electric vehicles to choose from, they're sitting at about 7, 7.5%. So sales didn't increase at the rate they thought they would, uh, which will lead to some of the news that we talk about today. First, uh, coming right out of the news, and this is big, and I think this is big because it means a lot. So First off, the news is Mary Barra with General Motors made the announcement that they will be uh, integrating hybrid technology back into some of their vehicles and bringing hybrid technology to some of their vehicles. Now, in, in their press release and in her press conference, she said that the reason that she's doing it um, is to make sure that General Motors is meeting EPA numbers, right? So the Environmental Protection Agency says to all automakers, you have to hit certain number of your vehicles to hit a certain, you know, level of or lack of pollution coming out of your vehicles. They're just these numbers that they have to hit. Well, General Motors comes out and says, hey, we're going to integrate hybrids back into it so we can make that. Not so fast. That is not, they might want to spin that and call that, that, that what they're doing um, for the EPA. But I will tell you right now that with a softening of electric vehicles in 2023, meaning purchasing, Automakers across the board have made similar announcements, right? Jim Farley, end of 2023, says, look, we're going to reduce uh, the F-150 Lightning production from 3,000 to 1,500 units uh, per month. We are going to slow some things down uh, with Blue Oval City in Memphis, Tennessee. Uh, Akio Toyota, early in 2023, that very famous statement he made, for every one electric vehicle I make, I can produce 50 hybrids. And you're seeing automakers kind of pump the proverbial brakes, if you will, not on what is the future, not it, not that electric vehicle, not, they're not halting it, but they are just making a calculated adjustment to ensure that their sales numbers still hit where they need to hit. So General Motors is doing that. And if they come out and say, no, that's not the reason that we're doing it. Well, I mean, I'm going to I'll probably call BS on it because it's true now. What I will say is that EV sales were up almost 90%. People were really looking at it. In fact, the Tesla Model Y was the number one car sold in the world in 2023. Nobody sold more vehicle, singular vehicle than the Tesla Model Y. So we are going electric team and um, you can fight it as much as you want. I've said from the beginning, I love the cars. The infrastructure is just, it's its bad. It's bad. And, and we'll, we'll continue talking about that over the course of, of uh, our podcast shows. All right, on to the next one right here and try to make sure I, I stay in line with some of this stuff. So Ford Motor Company has announced a new plan to allow dealers to rent the Ford Mustang Mach-E. Yeah, you didn't hear that one, did you? Um, that is a very, very, very interesting uh, piece of news coming out of Ford Motor Company. Now, you have to understand a little bit of the history. So a year ago, Ford Motor Company President Jim Farley, when he went to the Ford dealer group, they had a big convention in Las Vegas. Uh, the same one that he drove the Mustang or the Ford Lightning to and had infrastructure troubles. Uh, he had said basically like, look, you're going to have to be a part of this electric movement. And he kind of twisted their arm, right? He was like, hey, I'm going to twist your arm behind your back. And what that meant was, is they were saying that in order to keep re receiving vehicles inventory, meaning for your lot of whatever vehicles you want to have, you're going to have to buy into the $1.2 million electric vehicle process at your dealer. So upgrading your dealer was going to cost $1.2 million to bring it compliant with what they need to fulfill electric vehicle sales and service. So think about it. Sales, service, teaching, parts, products, specific lifts, things that are all going to be needed to retrofit your facility, not to mention charging uh, on-site at your dealership. Ford now is going to be renting out the Mustang Mach-E's, only the 2023 model. Um, and, and that's a big deal because I think it's going to help get consumers more interested in electrics. I think it's actually a smart play. 
right? So if you have some Mustang Mach-E's sitting on your dealership lot, they're not moving, they've been there for more than 30 days or 60 days, you put them in a rental fleet and allow people to test drive them. It's not a bad idea. Um, also, kind of interesting, if you're familiar with the company Ecolab, um, they are a water treatment and purification company. You may have seen them. You'd see them driving around town. It says Ecolab. So they're doing a little bit of a, I'm not even going to call it a pilot project because they purchased a thousand electric vehicles from Ford. Um, but out west in California, 1,000 of their 10,000 vehicle fleet uh, will be converted to Ford F-150 Lightnings, Mustang Mach-E's, E-Transit. So um, you're still seeing automakers move in this electric direction, but that's kind of big news for Ford Motor Company. Uh, what's my take on it? Uh, I think it's a good move. I think that municipalities and corporations and companies that don't have a big um, circumference, if you will, or radius of driving every day, right? They, if you're thinking about it, right, a city, my city here of Gallatin is small. You don't need to be able to drive an electric vehicle 450 miles or 250 miles. You just need to be able to get six miles up the street to fix a sprinkler or 12 miles up the road, um, you know, to address something with the city. Electric vehicles make perfect sense from a municipality standpoint. And that's what Ford has been a master at. If you think about the F-150 being America's best-selling truck, why? It's not because every American is buying an F-150. That's not the truth. It's because municipalities and governments across the country uh, buy the F-150. So kind of interesting food for thought. Uh, big news from an EV standpoint, and I thought this was actually a pretty good headliner. In fact, I saw Henrik Fisker uh, on Neil Cavuto's show, Cavuto Coast to Coast, uh, on Fox Business. And here's what's interesting. So two different electric vehicle makers, VinFast and Fisker, have all been direct consumer from a sales standpoint. So you want to buy a Fisker Ocean, you got to go to Fisker and buy it from Fisker and they will deliver the vehicle to you. Eliminates the dealership. Conceptually, great idea. Same thing with VinFast. But the change is that they are now going to start working with dealers and Fisker went to the uh, National Automobile Dealers Association annual convention, NADA, and hosted dealers at their office. And they've said, look, we want to start doing some co-selling uh, with certain dealership partners. So I think that's a really, really smart, smart, smart move. Infast, Lucid, Fisker. Um, it gives them a chance to really learn more about some other brands that are out there. So partnering up with dealers is a smart move. As we get ready to think about the Super Bowl, some other big news, uh, and I think this is cool as we transition to the Super Bowl. You know, obviously the Detroit Lions lost against the San Francisco 49ers. Super bummed out about that. Um, bummed out because I think the 49ers, uh, I think the 49ers are an amazing uh, team, but I think the Detroit, now I just had a conversation with somebody about this. Detroit winning wasn't about the Detroit football team winning. Detroit winning was about the city winning, right? I saw an interesting stat. The 49ers have been in 72 playoff games um, since the inception of their team, the Detroit Lions seven. So this was a big loss. Um, they came out. They were up by 17 at halftime. Was it 24-7? And ended up, you know, I nobody choice. You can just say shit the bed, right? So they ended up losing 34-31 and 27 unanswered points by the 49ers. Like they literally laid down. Um, but with that said, I think it's really, really cool as we talk about this. So what's interesting is that Ford Motor Company did a tribute video to the Detroit Lions, and it's a really, really good video. Uh, it's called where it's called Pride is Built. And I want to read you this quote because this quote's great. And then we'll talk about General Motors. So listen to this quote. This is from Jeff Danielson narrated it. He said, quote, we have to reach out and grab and fight because there are no short shortcuts here. And this is what Daniel said. And it says Daniel says against black and white Detroit scenes, including an overhead view of Lions Home Stadium, which carries the automaker's name. And then his voice rises and Daniels ends the video by saying, quote, we are Detroit. We aren't going anywhere. We are knocking at the door again and again. Made for January and February, we will be back. And it like just talking to you, like telling you guys this story, like it gets me all like fuzzy. Like I feel like the spidey senses come up <clears throat> because the Detroit Lions, you think about Barry Sanders, you think about... Um, all these players that have come through there, right? 
I mean, even looking at Matthew Stafford, who was with the Lions, what, for like 12 years, 10, 11, 12 years, he gets traded, goes to the LA Rams, and then wins the Super Bowl. It's like, ugh. I want to talk about Barrett-Jackson. Um, Barrett-Jackson just had their big annual event in Scottsdale. The most expensive car that sold was a 1956 Mercedes-Benz 300 SL Gullwing Coupe. Uh, and it went for, what is it, $3.41 million. So we're talking about, I mean, whew, the top 10 vehicles all came in north of a million dollars. So I just wanted to read a few of them out to you. You know, the Gullwing went for 3.4. There was a Bugatti Chiron uh, at 2.9 million. A Mercedes-Benz 540. It was 1937. It's a Roadster. 2.4 million. Um, Carrera GT at 1.87. 1918 Spider. Uh, Porsche, 1,787,500. This is an interesting one. So the 2012 Lexus LFA, and this is the Nürburgring version, that went for $1.6 million. But that one actually surprised me. So... They only made 500, Lexus only made 500 LFAs. And of those LFAs, then they had a Nürburgring edition. I think it was like 66 of them, something like that. But this was number 349 out of 500, 348 out of 500 of them. And it went for that crazy number. Now, it only had 2,100 miles on it, which is something that makes it stand apart. Um, but what a cool car, right? V10 under the hood, tons of freaking horsepower. Like, it's just a race, it's a race car, you know, that just happens to be a luxury Lexus. Uh, and the last one uh, of the 10 uh, went for 1.1 million. This is just kind of a funny one. President Donald Trump's 1997 Lamborghini Diablo VT Roadster. Um, so what does it tell us about Barrett Jackson? It, it tells us that <laughs> there are a lot of people out there with a lot of money um, that are buying these cool cars. But Barrett Jackson as a whole has, you know, it's gone from being this auction site and this auction location to now being one of the most coveted lifestyle automotive events in the country. And it's super fun to watch. Um, I watch everything with Barrett Jackson. I love to see the different cars. You'll see a Chiron cross the line. Then you'll see um, a 51 Ford cross the line. Then you'll see a Camaro, a 72 custom C10. You'll see all these different vehicles. I even custom companies like Max Slider with their Broncos, We'll have something up there. Um, I saw Real Truck had one of their vehicles from SEMA. I think it was the Matchbox one uh, that was up there as well. So it's pretty cool. But the big story for me out of Bear Jackson this year is this story around this young boy named Zane Childress. Um, a real heartwarming story. This young kid came down with a very rare genetic disease called NF1. It has a really long scientific name. But basically, he had tumors that started growing on his body. And his, your life expectancy is, is unfortunately cut really, really short. So he was gifted a 1972 Chevy C10 truck. And it needed to be fixed up and, and uh, able to run. Wasn't quite 16 yet. And so the, the truck was taken by a couple different aftermarket companies and shops. They started working on it. But Make-A-Wish and Barrett Jackson got wind of this. And they ended up redoing and customizing the heck out of this truck. And Zane was invited to uh, come and participate a year or two ago at the Barrett-Jackson show. And all of a sudden, boom, his car, car crosses the auction line. I mean, there wasn't a dry eye in the house. And they gifted him this car and he got the keys. And as his, as his, his health got worse, he had, they had to move cross-country and he couldn't take his car so this kid's a car kid and just his mom ended up shipping the car out to him and after shipping the car out to him they decided to move back to arizona drove the car back across the u.s and unfortunately in june 2023 uh zane passed away uh and his mom was at barrett jackson just here a week ago to say thank you to say thank you to Make-A-Wish, Make-A-Wish Arizona, thank the, the Barrett-Jackson team and their president for everything that they did. Um, the mom said that there's no question in her mind that this car and what this car meant to her son helped him live longer. So I, I think as we, we talk about the auto industry and why I'm in it and why what I love the most, 
is that it's it's not about me. It's about what the next generation of car enthusiasts are all about. I see it through my 16-year-old son Tyler's eyes when he went to SEMA for the first time this year. I see the excitement. I see what the auto industry can do, and it's really powerful. As we get ready to kick off February, February is the, the real kickoff to uh, the NASCAR season, right? We'll have the, the race in the Coliseum, Clash of the, Clash of the Coliseum uh, in California. It kicks off the first real race of the season, but is it, it's more of an exhibition race, right? There's no points that are going to be won in California. It's really a, an opportunity to kind of show up. I believe they're doing electric cars this year as well. So that's going to be a whole different uh, way to experience the race. Um, and then they go to Daytona, right? And Daytona is where it all goes down. Daytona, uh, the Daytona 500 historical, Dale Earnhardt Sr., right? Jeff Gordon, Jimmy Johnson, like Richard Petty. We think about Kale Yarbrough, like all these names that have just, Daytona 500 is where you go. And then you've got this new group of drivers that are that are coming through. So uh, what's interesting about Daytona, I've been there, I've been on the track. It, it, there's no other track quite like Daytona. Like it's beautiful Florida weather, uh, sunshine on the track. Uh, the infield is packed with RVs. Uh, and people, you know, that are really taking advantage of the entire week of racing. Uh, the whole town and city surrounding the track is all about racing. Every bar, every restaurant, every hotel, all themed around the Daytona 500. We're going to take a quick break. We're going to recognize our podcast sponsor, Lucas Oil. Hey guys, you all know that I'm super passionate about cars and everything in the auto, RV, truck, motorcycle industries. It doesn't matter. Anything that has an engine, you know how much I love it. And I'm just as passionate about all of those types of fun toys as I am about keeping them running. And that's why I choose only to work with Lucas Oil. And for me, it doesn't really matter what product I use. I always know that their product is going to work. So whether it's to keep my machines looking clean with their slick mist or something like their anti-squawk or shutter uh, lubricant, I know that Lucas Oil is always going to deliver. But what is my number one go-to? Well, those that follow Mike Caudill, especially on my social channels, know that one of my number one passions is off-roading, and that takes you to my 1975 Ford Bronco, which is a young 49 years old well their high mileage fuel treatment is the only thing i put inside my engine why because i know that it's going to keep my engine running to the very best ability that it can lucas oil been around for 35 years one of america's best american-based stories if you guys want to find out more about lucas oil go to their website lucasoil.com welcoming onto the mike Coyle podcast a really good friend of mine and someone that not only do I consider a friend, but I absolutely 100% look up to. Um, there's so many, there's so few mentors that, that we have in television that when you find someone that you truly enjoy being around and Jamie Little joining us, um, NASCAR on Fox, we, we become friends. We've done some different projects together now. Uh, welcome to the Mike Caudill podcast. Thank you. Thank you for joining us. Well, that was such a nice introduction. Made me blush. Thank you, Mike. Glad to be that's on the how, show. <laughs> that that that's how we do it. Um, for those that are listening to the podcast, uh, Jamie has been a fixture on NASCAR uh, in the pits. She's up in the box. Uh, she knows everything about the inner workings of not just NASCAR, but a big motorsports aficionado. Uh, but we both are from California, which is where our I'll start off. Um, we are both from Northern California. She grew up in the Lake Tahoe area. And I think just really quickly for all those listening, how did you land in the world of NASCAR? And I know there's a lot of steps, but just share your story. Yeah, I'll give you the the abbreviated, the uh, Cliff Notes version, really. Um, yes, like you said, I was born and raised in South Lake Tahoe, only child. I think when you're born in a place like that, you're you're naturally a tomboy, right? You want to play outside all the time. I wanted to hang with the boys that had the quads, anything with a motor. I was just attracted to. I wanted to play. I just I loved that kind of feel. I loved riding horses and all of those things. Then I moved to Vegas with my mom when I was 13. And there were no sports, you know, there weren't any sports teams in Lake Tahoe. Same thing for Vegas at the time. And I met somebody that raced Supercross. And I was like, this sport is awesome. 
uh, take me along. And that was Carrie Hart. So I'm sure there's a lot of uh, viewers, listeners that maybe heard that name. He's married to Pink, the singer. So I met him at 13. He introduced me to the sport. I tag along with him and his buddies. And uh, lo and behold, I was like, I'm going to make a career out of this. There's no women on the microphone that represent fans like me. And I didn't really want to go to college, didn't know what I was going to do with my life. I did end up getting my degree, by the way, in journalism. Um, but the rest was history, literally, Mike. I just, that was my focus. Um, and I started covering Supercross when I was like 20 years old. I was a live announcer for Supercross for a while. Then that turned into a deal with ESPN. So that was the first place I worked for television. Did Supercross, Motocross, X Games for many years. Um, started doing IndyCar in 04, did the Indy 500 for 11 years, covered that sport, and then started covering NASCAR on ESPN in 2007. So fast forward all these years later, this is my 25th season, and I've been with Fox now. This is my 10th year. It's, it's so cool to hear your story. And when we were down uh, doing the Fort Lauderdale Boat Show, it's the first time we met, and we shared some of those interesting kind of vertical experiences, the way that you went, the way that I've gone. And what's really unique about both of our, our journeys is that we've, we've gone like this and intersected without knowing each other, like Carrie Hart. I, went, I was flown to Germany. I rode with Indian Motorcycle during the Good Ride Rally, um, had a chance to spend five days riding with Carrie um, out in the countryside into the Austrian Alps and, and learned what kind of a, uh, a motocross competitor he was back in the day. And then, of course, X Games and whatnot. But um, what I just think it's an amazing story to hear. So cool. now fast, fast forward to today, you are the voice of NASCAR. And it's great because you have such a, a wonderful team in the box that you work with and you're down in the pits. And then some of the other series, you're up in the box um, reading everybody, the amazing things happening that are down there on the track. Um, I remember talking to you and these teammates – and I consider all the racers, right? They're your teammates. You know everyone down there on the track. Um, what is it like being down there on pit row with these cars? There's nothing like it. I mean, I, I've covered the Cup Series since I came into NASCAR in 2007, and it doesn't get bigger than that when it comes to auto racing in America. And for me, being in the pits, you are in the middle of the action. The best thing about my job is something happens, I go straight down to the pit box, I get the word from the horse's mouth. I talk to the pit crew, somebody just dropped a lug nut or somebody just beat everybody else off pit road and that wins them the race and the championship. Well, I'm right there to talk to them or tell you a story or a report about that person. Um, something's going on, you know, with, um, you know, say Kevin Harvick, I can go talk to his crew chief right away. What's going on? Are you guys bringing them in? You know, tell me these, these things and I bring it to the fans. I don't have somebody in my ear telling me what to do, what to say. I'm self-produced. Yes, I have a producer, but I'm like, hey, I can add on this. Or the booth is talking about the battle up front and Kyle Larson's about to take the lead. And if he wins this race, that's going to catapult him to the championship. Hey, I can add. And I've got those stories. But all of those stories come from the hard work in the garage all weekend long. You get to talk to those guys. And it doesn't come easy. It's not for everybody to come in and just cover NASCAR. You've got to have those relationships. And the fact that I can walk up into any hauler at any time, talk to any crew chief, walk up to any driver at any time, even after they wreck out of the race with a microphone, you know, that's something that's earned. It's not given. And I think that's the best part about being in the pits. And I never want to give that up, even though, as you mentioned, I do play-by-play -play now for the Craftsman Truck Series, NASCAR Series, um, the Arkham Menard Series. And I love being up in the booth. It's totally different. But the one drawback is you're not in the middle of the action. I've got my reporters for that, but you're not in the middle of it. That's just something that I've fell in love with racing and I still love every minute of it today. It, it's pretty amazing. And, and Fox covers a pretty big chunk of the season and then it jumps over to one of the other um, big networks. What is it about Fox that makes NASCAR so special? Because it sounds crazy. I'm, man, it's going to be horrible for me to say this, but I feel like Fox <laughs> covers the season and I feel like the season's over. Right. Fox is done for half the season or a little bit more than that. And I'm like, I can't watch it anymore. <laughs> you know, it's two different networks, totally different styles. And, you know, I come from the ESPN world. I worked there for 13 years, so I know their style. It's very similar to NBC, who picks up the second half of the year. But when I came over to Fox, it was like, 
whoa, they do things totally different here. First and foremost, they were like, take the fire suit off. You're never wearing a fire suit on the air. You wear what you want to wear. And to me, that was big because I'm like, okay, I need to figure out what my style is. What, how do I want to portray myself? I have suddenly had to think about these things. Um, so that was one big difference. But Fox just allows you to be you. They hired, they let you know, we hired you because we feel like you're the best and, and we expect you to do your thing. We're not going to hold your hand and tell you how to do your job. So if I started at Fox, I think it would have been a lot harder for me to go to somewhere like NBC or ESPN, who just has a different style, more of a business approach, um, you know, follow all the big storylines and get in their face. And Fox just lets you follow your instinct and cover the sport the way that you feel um, is right. It's just a totally different vibe. Some people, ESPN, NBC, that's their vibe. And I and and Fox is it for other people. But to your question, Mike, about, you know, what makes it different? I think when you watch Fox, we have fun. It's It's entertainment. Yes, we're racing. It's an entertainment show. That's what we do. We're people's escape from reality and have fun doing what you're doing. And, and I think that you really see that with our coverage. You, you use the word storylines a minute ago, which is a great transition. So Clash of the Coliseum's coming up. Um, last year, Martin Truex Jr. won it. There were, 20, I think, 27 cars, you know, out there on the, on the, on the starting lap. And crashes and it's a quarter mile like what what is going on with this race like it is the craziest race of the year and it's not even a points race it's insane it's an exhibition race the clash is something that nascar has done forever but usually it would be held in daytona you know leading up to speed you know it's part of speed weeks leading up to the daytona 500 but NASCAR was thinking out of the box. They're like, we need to take NASCAR to places that don't get NASCAR and introduce it to a whole new audience. So that's what they did. They literally chose a Coliseum that's been around forever. By the way, I covered Supercross in the Coliseum ages ago. And now we come back and they built an asphalt track, temporary asphalt track inside this quarter mile. Now, granted, you can't just take NASCAR to any stadium. The footprint is not as big as the Coliseum. So we started it in 2022, and this is the third time we're going there, and it's insane. It's a quarter mile. We don't race on a track that short anywhere. A half mile is what we typically do, and that's why our field is shorter, and we made it even shorter this year. It's down to 23 cars. So that means there's a lot of drivers who are usually guaranteed into a race are going to have to go home. So this is just NASCAR's way of putting on a fun show for everybody to watch, to get fired up for the season. Next week, you know, we've got the Super Bowl, and then we've got Daytona 500 right after that. February is one of my favorite months of the year because of exactly as, as you just said. Right now, as we're talking, King of Hammers is happening out in Johnson Valley, which is the most incredible off-road racing performance thing next to Baja. It's like Baja and Dakar like clash together and everyone goes to Johnson Valley. In a week, we've got the Super Bowl, which the football has not left my hand. <laughs> I, am a, I am a massive football fan, which we're going to talk about in a minute. And then all of this racing, you've got Daytona and you've got Clash of the Coliseum. And then shortly after that, you've got um, Superbike or Supermoto. And then you've got the kickoff to uh, the regular moto season. And then you've got American Flat Track. Like all of these things are happening. So yeah. As what's your outlook on the season? You know, football's so easy, right? You go, all right, Kansas City's going to be there this year. They're going to make it to the playoffs. They got Mahomes and they got Kelsey and they got Taylor Swift. Like they got the duo, right? So, so every member so, of their team, by the way. <laughs> did, hey, by the way, you heard on the news this week that she alone, by being a part of all of this craziness, has helped raise three hundred and thirty million dollars for the NFL. Like that. Put, it, put all the craziness aside of Taylor Swift. Like, that's, in the, that's a major amount of money. Yeah, you know what I say to that? Hey, NASCAR, single drivers, go out and get yourself this celebrity. Help us out here. I know, I know, I know, Find I know. yourself a Taylor Swift, all right? <laughs> we, need, we, need, we need one of those. Um, so what's your outlook on the season? We'll talk about Daytona in a minute. What's your outlook on the season? Who, who, who's, who do you feel like stepped up in the offseason? There's been some transition. Who are, who are you looking at as some of the favorites this year? It's so hard to say because everybody's been working hard, as you always hear. We've been working all season long, but there's just some teams have really stepped up and they've got a lot of sponsorship behind them. Um, Legacy Motor Club is one in particular. Jimmy Johnson, seven-time champion, he's one of the owners of that team. They went out and they've got 
new drivers. They've got more sponsorships. So they've gone over to Toyota. Toyota's come on board now, which is going to be strange because Jimmy Johnson was a Chevrolet driver his entire career. Now, all of a sudden, he's a Toyota guy. So that's going to be interesting to me and to see how that team does. Obviously, Hendrick Motorsports, they're always there. Kyle Larson, they're, they're going to win a bunch of races this year. Um, Gibbs, we have to wait and see what they do, but we've got some young drivers and that's what I always love is the stories of the guys who are coming in as, you know, first timers, the Carson Hosovars and Zane Smith. So it's wide open and that's why I love covering this part of the season. Yeah, I, I agree with you, you know, and then we, we go, all right, so Martin Truex wins at the Clash of the Coliseum and then you go to Daytona and it's Ricky Stenhouse Jr. And then your overall champion last year was Ryan Blaney. Like it, you know, it's Penske, it's Joe Gibbs and it's like, yeah. It's not like the NFL where you feel like you can be predictive because every no. single race is so different. So as you go into Daytona, Jamie, what does your week look like? I think that that's kind of something interesting. We know the, what the race is. It's amazing. But what's that week like for you? Yeah, it's, um, you know, it's one of the unique race weekends, right, that I'm not just traveling on a Thursday night to a Sunday. I go in, I'm going to go Tuesday morning, and we start right away on Tuesday with meetings because then we're on the air Wednesday night. So we've got, um, you know, there's all, there's the qualify, we've got the uh, Daytona 500 qualifying that night. Then we got the duels at Daytona on Thursday night. Wednesday, by the way, is media day. So I'll be part of that all day long. So we're on the air all week long. Um, and then I will kind of shift my focus on Friday and start focusing on the Arkham Menard series kickoff. And that race will be Saturday afternoon. So I'll do that from the booth. And then, of course, appearances. I've got a big shell dinner I have to host and MC on Saturday. And then the Daytona 500 on Sunday. So on Monday, you're exhausted because it is a lot. <laughs> it's a lot of emotion, a lot of excitement. It's an amazing week. And one of my favorite parts is that I get to leave the doom and gloom of Indianapolis in the cold and go to Daytona and come back with a tan. <laughs> I know. I know. I know. I'm, I head to Montreal on, on Tuesday of this week. I'm there two days in 10 degree temperatures and in snow. And then I go from there to Chicago. And then I go to Miami for the boat show a week later. So over a four day span, I go from 15 degrees to 80 degrees in sunshine. So I'm looking forward to it. That's um, always fun to pack for, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. It's like, I don't even know how to pack for that. It's like can be confusing. And almost, you got to have one bag that goes with you that's for a completely different trip, but you have to take it because you can't stop at home. Right. It's like, yeah, exactly. It's one of the most confusing things. So, all right. So Daytona is going to come and we're going to want to have you back on to get some of your post thoughts on the first few races of the season. Um, before we go, I want to close it out with some fun, hot, hot questions for you. And these are, these are, we just, we love letting people get to know, and we always have a surprise at the end. So I want to start with this because it's, for me, my first car is the one thing that motivated me to, to become a part of the world of transportation. And for me, it was a 1998 BMW 323i that I then dropped money into to turn it into a Dynage Stage 3 um, short track race car. What what was your first vehicle okay. that you loved that you were like, this is my car? Oh, gosh, it was a 2001 Pontiac Firebird. And that oh. was I literally walked in. It was funny. I, I think I got one for one of my rental cars. And I was like, I want this car. And I went to the dealership and I paid cash and they brought it out and had a big bow on it. And I got in that hot rod. It was so much fun. That was like the first time in my career. I was like, I think I've made it. I just bought a brand new car because obviously the cars before that, they were all used cars. And I got in this one and it was just so gratifying. It had the T-tops that I took off and the wind blowing in my hair driving down, you know, the, the five freeway in San Diego. It was, it was just, that was such a cool moment and a, and a cool car. But um, yeah, it was too low for me. And I think I realized then that I need, I need bigger cars. I'm five foot 10. I just, I like to be up high. V8 horsepower. That is wild. I never would have pegged you for a five. Like that's no. so awesome. Yeah, me either, that's Mike. That's so awesome. <laughs> I know, I know. You, you said at the beginning, um, you know, Carrie Hart, and you were talking about kind of trying to, to, to blaze a new direction for women in motorsports. And, and, you know, as I think about over my shoulder, I got a picture of you and I when we were down at the Fort Lauderdale, you know, International Boat Show. Will Christian, you know, there's so many other women that have, that have become a fixture in motorsports because you have helped blaze that, that trail for them. What would NASCAR on Fox, Jamie Little, tell Jamie Little that was growing up in Lake Tahoe? What would you tell that girl 
from an inspirational standpoint? What's the message that you would communicate? Oh, I would just say find something you're passionate about and stick to it. And if it's something that you truly love, you never feel like it's work. And all the sacrifice, all the hard work, the pushback, the no's, it's all worth it as long as you keep your eye on the prize. Don't be swayed because, oh, well, there's nobody that looks like me there. Or, you know, it's all men. What am I going to do there? If that's what you want to do, carve your own path. And that wasn't ever something I set out to do like, oh, well, you know, I want to be the first woman to do that. No, I just said, I want to be a woman over here representing the female fans. I want to be part of it. I want to be a really good reporter. I want to be your favorite reporter, not your favorite female reporter. So I would say, find that passion and continue to follow it. And that's literally what I did in my life. But looking back, I mean, if you could just tell your younger self, like, it's all going to work out. You're going to make a great living. You're going to have happiness. And oh, by the way, if you do it right, you can balance everything, including having a family and being a mom. And you do a great, I met your husband and your, and your family for the first time <laughs> right before Christmas. Adorable family. Your husband, might I add, is also in motorsports. So do you envision one of your kids becoming a driver? Hell no. Ha! <laughs> I'm such a hypocrite mom. I'm like, you know all the stuff that I love and I do? You cannot do it. Too dangerous for my kids, but mom will do I it. I jump out of planes. I've done so many crazy things, stunt <clears throat> planes. Like, I, if, if they asked me to do it, I would always say yes. And now I'm like, no, kids, find stick and ball, yeah. okay? <laughs> so, well, well, it's funny you say that. You just said stick and ball. So I played football all the way up through college. I was a quarterback. I used to love, I mean, I just, I, I still, to this day, football was my world, right? I grew up and I played it my entire life. And my son, when he started getting into stick and ball sports, I told him, absolutely, there is no way you will ever play football. No oh, way. The head, the, the, the head injuries that you get, you I think know. about NASCAR, you get those in, in football as well. And unless you are a perennial prototype sized player, it's going to be really hard to, to, to get through that. Do you ever get seat time? Do you ever get to drive in a car? Now, you probably did it when you were younger, but do you get to go drive in the cars? Every once in a while, yes. At least once a year, we'll have time out on the track. And, and uh, somebody that I work with, like a former driver, Michael Waltrip, whoever. Actually, I just did it last year. Um, so you do the two-seater ride. And you get to haul ass around a racetrack at, you know, 180 miles an hour. That's fun. But I like driving myself. So when I started reporting for IndyCar, I sent myself to all the driving schools I could. But I got my racing license from, um, it was Infineon Raceway back then, but now it's Sonoma. And yeah. so I got my racing license in, in a formula um, car. So like an open wheel car. And I loved it. Um, I didn't really think I would ever race until Toyota came calling in 2008 and asked me to do the Toyota Pro Celebrity Race in a Toyota Scion. And I was like, yes. And I went all in. I had to do three days of training. And I went out and won that freaking thing. I beat Mike Skinner, Truck Series champion of NASCAR. No, I think only two women had ever won the overall. Um, that was probably the coolest day of my life um, until I got married and had children, of course. Um, but yes, I love to drive myself. I love to race. Um, and I still try to get in a car whenever I'm asked and given an opportunity. All right. So hit us with something people don't know about Jamie Little. That is so hard. Um, maybe that I'm an only child raised by a single mom, um, which makes my story, I think, even more interesting because I didn't have a dad or a brother that raced or was into it. Um, when I fell in love with motocross, I came home, took down all my horse posters, put up my Jeremy McGrath and Jeff Stanton posters. And my mom said, what in the hell has happened to my daughter? And uh, she knows now. <laughs> she gets it. Um, so I would say that's one thing. Yeah, that's crazy. I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. All right. And we're going to let you go with one more. Who's going to win the Super Bowl? Do you have a favorite? Do you have thoughts on this? Uh, yes. You got the Chiefs playing the San Francisco 49ers. My gut tells me you're going to yep. be in the same ballpark as me. We're Californians. We're rooting for the 49ers. Absolutely. Freaking lootly. Yes. Heck yeah. That's who Heck. you have to root for in Lake Tahoe because we didn't have any sports. So that was the closest thing. So, and I, I don't, I, I don't know if you'd call them the underdog, but I would think and assume that they're the underdog going in um, to Super Bowl champions and Travis Kelsey and Mahomes. But um, I like the guys who aren't the favorites. I love those stories. So I'm going to go for uh, Brock Purdy and, and the 49ers. I love Brock Purdy's story. Everything about it. The kid's 20 and three. Yep. 
under center. And that is an amazing story. Uh, Jamie Little, thank you so much for joining us on the Mike Caudill podcast. We cannot wait to watch the races. See you down there on the sideline and to catch up with you uh, for some highlights post-race. Yes, sounds good. Thanks for having me, Mike. Great having Jamie on. And you know what? I'm thinking out loud about the way the football season has broken down. And you see me wearing me, my Tennessee Titans hat all the time. In fact, I think it was episode one. I was talking about the fact that Mike Vrabel was fired and what's going to happen with the Tennessee Titans. And as we sit here now in episode three, he still doesn't have a team. You've seen Jim Harbaugh go to the San Diego Chargers. We've now been through the playoffs. We watched, um, we watched the San Francisco 49ers knock off a few teams. We watched uh, Detroit you know, knock off San Francisco, knocks off Green Bay, Detroit knocks off Tampa Bay. Um, it's it's just been a great, great season. I, by the way, I'm 0 for 4 in my picks. I really thought the Ravens were going to beat the Chiefs. I thought the Lions were going to beat the 49ers. Um, and, you know, it's just, it was interesting. I, I thought that the Houston Texans were going to lose uh, to the Cleveland Browns, right? Like the whole Joe Flacco thing. Like, are you kidding me? Uh, but now here we are, we sit and we've got the... Super Bowl ahead of us. We got San Francisco 49ers taking on the Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, I know that I might alienate some people that might tune into this show, but I'm going to tell you right now, I just can't stand them. I cannot stand the Kansas City Chiefs. I think Travis Kelsey is just an amazing tight end, and I think Patrick Mahomes is an amazing quarterback. But man, some of their antics, watching the Justin Tucker thing, and I'm sure there's more story. If you haven't seen the whole pregame stuff between Baltimore and, uh, and and Kansas City. Justin Tucker's out there stretching. He's probably going to be go down in history as the best kicker of all time in the NFL. And, you know, Mahomes kicks his tee out of the way, and then Kelsey throws his helmet at balls. And it wasn't done in fun. It was done in, in frustration. So um, I'm going to be rooting for the San Francisco 49ers. I think that what is really unique about this 49ers team is that you've got this young kid, Brock Purdy, right, 20-3. and three. You know, he, he came off the bench. He only hoped to make a team. He Mr. Irrelevant, drafted very la- last person drafted uh, when he came out, making the league minimum, and he's done nothing less uh, than be excellent for the San Francisco 49ers, even going up against the Green Bay Packers, where the 49ers should have lost, and he played like crap in the very last, um, in the very last series of plays. Uh, on that final drive, he was able to win the game. Something special about this kid, Brock Purdy. Uh, in no way am I going to call him a, a Tom Brady just yet, but there is some greatness happening in there, and it's pretty amazing to see. Flip side, I was bummed out to see the Lions drop. Uh, I mentioned that at the top of the show. You know, seeing the Lions drop was was a big time bummer. Um, really cool though, and I, I forgot to mention it earlier that the General Motors Renaissance Center, they took the lion, the GM and they put a lion's tail on it um, to support the Lions. But very, very bummed out, right? Some new faces. They're the youngest team, one of the youngest teams in the NFL next to, I think, Green Bay. Uh, you've got Amon Ross St. Brown. This kid is phenomenal. He's such a great uh, wide receiver. You got Jared Goff, you know, throwing the ball. I really would have liked to have seen those guys win. Um, Montgomery in the backfield. I mean, this team is stacked. Um, and I really wanted to see them them win. They lost because of their head coach. And, you know, people have said it, and you got to say it, say it loud, man. You can gamble, and they were 17 for 20 in fourth down conversions this season. But when the game is on the line for a championship, you kick the field goal and you take the points. Uh, and he had a chance to kick a field goal and take the points, and he had a chance uh, to go for a fourth down, and they one of the receivers dropped it. You know, you just talk about crumbling, right? I mean, here's a team that was up by, you know, twenty-seven, up by 17 points uh, going into going into halftime, and then they end up losing just 27 unanswered points. Um, congrats to the 49ers. Came with second half, put screwed their head on tight, said we're going to whoop your butt, and that's what they did. It was a real butt whooping. On the other side in the AFC, you know, you had Mahomes take on, um, who is highly regarded as the, the MVP of the year, right? So you look at Lamar Jackson. Um, I'm not going to say I'm not a not a Jackson fan, but I've never been a big time Lamar Jackson fan. At the end of the day, Teddy Bruschi said it. It doesn't matter whether you are Jared Goff. It doesn't matter whether you are Lamar Jackson. It doesn't matter who you are or what coach you are or what team you are. You got to win the big game. That's all that matters. 
And, um, you know, hearing some of the other pundits, you know, kind of create excuses and whatnot, man, there's no excuse. You got to win the big game. So that leads me to, you guys ready for this? I got to do the helmet giveaway. We're going to do the helmet giveaway today before we do the vehicle of the week. So here is the helmet giveaway. And I've got one around here somewhere, but we are going to be giving away a motorcycle slash automotive helmet uh, that is Department of Transportation DOT certified. You have to pick out the winning team and the losing team and have the exact score. And if you do that, you will get a you will win the helmet. Now there's a there's a catch. You have to go to my Instagram and my TikTok pages and you have to subscribe. So you go in there and you subscribe. And then once you subscribe in your message, you say, I've subscribed. And then you put the team, two teams, and the score. And that puts you in the running to get one of those helmets. If it is a tie, we're going to come up with a game that uh, each each one of the winners would have to play. And we'll narrow it down like a football football championship. But uh, if you haven't checked out It's Mike Caudill, it's going to be on all pages. We're going to get another video up here just reminding people that um, you've got about a week and a half before you lose out. So, all right, let's talk about our vehicle of the week. I was just out in California, had a great time uh, driving a really cool vehicle. And, you know, I get to test drive vehicles every single week. This time I had the Ford Expedition Timberline, and I really, really enjoyed the Timberline. Uh, this is Ford's full-size SUV. Uh, obviously, if you want to go more luxurious, you go with the Lincoln Navigator built on the same platform. The Timberline is their mild, I'll call it mild off-road package, meaning fire roads. So it comes with all-terrain tires, has a little bit higher ground clearance, um, and it has that same 3.5 liter twin turbo that is in the Raptor, but it is detuned. Um, you get, I think it's six electronically controlled driving uh, features. So you have, and I'll just read them to you, sport mode, slippery mode, mud and rut, sand, normal, and eco mode. Uh, the big drawback to it, and it's a three-row full-size SUV, I'd say the drawback to me would be the 6,000-pound towing capacity. That's what happens when you go to a, a V6 uh, that is twin-turboed, and you've got a pretty hefty price on it. Your price is starting right around $54,000 on a base level. The Timberline starts at about $71,000. But man, beautiful color, beautiful look, so fun to drive, very comfortable. I drove it from LAX, so Los Angeles Airport, all the way out to uh, Blythe, which is about four-hour drive, past Palm Springs, into the desert, down some fire roads, and I was super impressed. Very comfortable, quality interior, great SUV. So if you're in the market for a full-size SUV, um, you might want to take a look at that. I also have on my YouTube page uh, a video that I did on the three top uh, full-size luxury SUVs in the U.S. So a lot of great stuff, you guys, happening this week in the auto industry, but it's all about football and NASCAR, baby. That's where we're at right now. we got football and NASCAR coming, and uh, we'll be covering that on some of our future episodes. Thank you to Jamie Little for joining us today on the Mike Caudill podcast. I hope I see you here soon, my friend, and we will be back at it with you guys here in another week, bringing you all the latest and greatest in the automotive news. All right. Have a great day, everyone. Let's go.